How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you could you could be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Well, welcome everyone to Chasing Giants, episode nine. Don Higgins, how are you doing tonight, buddy? Good, how are you, Terry? I'm doing well. It's November 30th. Um, it's Saturday night after Thanksgiving. I assume you guys had a, a good holiday with the family? Yeah, we sure did. Um, how about you? Yeah, we had a good one. Um, we celebrated with my wife's family on Thanksgiving Day, and then yesterday went up and visited my parents up on the east side of Cincinnati. They live about 40 minutes away, so two big meals. Um, don't want to see turkey for a couple more days. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the pictures on uh, social media of your turkey on the smoker. Yeah, I uh, I have one of those uh, big pellet smokers, so unfortunately I get turkey duty to, to fix turkeys for all the family uh Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, somebody's got to do it. So, yeah, they they turn out better. So it's a good time. My neighbor and I sat out and uh, and uh, in the garage and watch a little football and talk about hunting while the while the turkey's on the smoker. So it's a good time. All right. So last uh, last Saturday we uh, we had a, our um, a podcast from Marshall and uh, I want to thank everybody for the support that in the first. 24 hours got the most downloads of any podcast that we've released so far on episode eight. And, uh, we just keep getting, uh, more and more positive feedback and more downloads every time we put it out there. So we really appreciate the support. Yeah, ab- absolutely. We couldn't do it without the, the folks that listen in. So, uh, I mean, if we was just talking to ourselves, uh, there'd be no sense doing it, but yeah. All the feedback we get, the questions you guys send in, and uh, you know the messages of support, we really appreciate it. Yeah, the best thing you can do to help us when you download that uh, that podcast is and subscribe to it is is leave a review or comment. Um, that helps other people that's searching for this topic to find us a whole lot quicker. But uh, sure do appreciate everybody's support. It's been very overwhelming. Absolutely. So, uh, what's been going on with you? Um, we'll get to, uh, the buck I shot on Saturday or uh, Sunday last week, but, uh, outside of Thanksgiving, what have you been into? Well, uh, yesterday, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, I went out and checked a bunch of cameras. I think I was, uh, on five different properties, uh, checking cameras. You know, the interesting thing was that on one of the properties, I got a picture of a buck that morning, early in the morning, right before daylight, um, of a young buck that, that I've got, uh, you know, high hopes for in the future if he survives. And so knowing that he was on that property, I thought, you know, I'd like to get some video footage of that buck. Uh, 
uh, I got a little bit early in the season, but uh, at a distance, and I wanted to get some good video footage of him. And so, knowing what property he was on right before daylight, I figured he must have been bedded there. So I went and set the stand, and um, lo and behold, thirty minutes later, here he comes, and got some about three good video clips of the buck. Um, he busted up his rack a little bit. Uh, must have been fighting, but you know. Uh, just trying to put some history together. So if I kill him down the road at some point, I'll have that. But, uh, you know, it never stops. I spent some time this week on some public ground. Um, even went to Indiana and, uh, walked some public ground over there. Um, put a trail camera up and, um, next season starts as soon as this season ends. And for me, it ended on November 4th when I shot my second buck and filled my last buck tag here in Illinois. So uh, I've been doing what I can. Uh, I really got to wait for gun season to be over to to see what survives. And next weekend, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday will be the second and final gun season in Illinois, except for a late muzzleloader season. Um, so here in another couple of weeks, I'll have a whole lot better idea of, of what bucks have survived and what will be left for me to chase next year. Right. Um <clears throat> When we were talking uh, last week, um, for the people who listened to episode eight, um, we were we were in Marshall, uh, Illinois, where we were staying at a hotel room, and my buddy Patrick Simpson and I get a room there, and you came over and ate a nice steak dinner with us, and uh, we went back over to the hotel room and recorded an episode, and um, I'll just give a quick update to what, what ended up happening. We... Um, we were talking in episode eight about this one piece of property and specifically this bedding area that uh, it, it seems to come up a lot in conversation as we're trying to describe um, what bucks, especially mature bucks, are doing on the downwind side of bedding. And we had a, I believe, a southwest or yeah, southwest wind that day, that Sunday morning, and uh, we said that we were going to go in there and hopefully. Um, um, see a buck on the downwind side up cruising and this property had uh, when we started in the summertime we had five bucks that um, Patrick and I had considered shooters and uh, as hunting season approached two of those bucks disappeared and we had three left Um, and so uh, Patrick on was it I think it was November 1st shot uh, Curly just a real, real awesome, non-typical buck. That was the number one on the hit lister with a bow. And uh, so we had two left on there, two uh, two eight-pointers, and um, it was a really, really slow morning. And I don't I don't know why, but there was a – I only saw maybe an hour and a half after daylight, a doe with her fawn went into this bedding area we've talked about. And, um, you know, I, I don't know why – I. I think I texted you Sunday morning. I didn't hear a shot. And for the first gun season, that's just crazy. Um, but didn't hear a shot. But, uh, soon after I texted you, um, a buck came out on the non, on the downwind side of that bedding area. And I was able to shoot him. Um, he was the smallest of the three shooters. Um, he's cool buck. Um, six inch bases. He just didn't carry his uh, mass very well past his brow tines. Um, not a huge frame. He's outside his ears, so he'll go, I don't know, mid to high 140s. Um, good buck. 
And um, when I took him to the, of course, you have to cape him out. We're not allowed to bring him back across state lines. But when we uh, cut that skull out, when we got to the taxidermist, he always, I don't know if your taxidermist ever talks about the thickness of the skull. So it'll be yep. really, it'll be really interesting. Uh, I sent the front teeth off to DeerAge.com. Uh, sent it out yesterday, so I should know here in the next um, next week. I got the expedited service on it, so I should know uh, next week what um, how old that buck was. We got pictures of him for the last two years, so be interesting. But the story, the story is just that that downwind side of that bedding area. And I'm curious to tie that to what you saw with this younger buck that you were you were seeing and that you got video footage because as we're coming out of the rut, those bucks are leaving the does out cruising. He was absolutely no doubt about it, gridding that backside, uh, downwind side of the of that bedding area. What was the buck that you were um looking at and got video footage of? Was he going to food or bedding or what was he doing? No, he he was absolutely cruising for does and, and he was on the downwind edge of the doe bedding area. That's why I was there. You know, we had the Southeast wind yesterday and, um, knowing that buck was in that bedding area somewhere right before daylight. Um, I just knew whenever he got out of his bed, whenever he, he was going to cruise that downwind edge, it was just a matter of, did he get up before dark? And he sure did. And cruised right down that edge, uh, where he could scent check everything. And, um, it, it just, it played out perfect. So, uh, that, there's something to it Yeah, no, for sure. No doubt about it. As, as we're getting into, you know, pre-rut and into the rut, and then we come out of the rut or excuse me, come out of lockdown. And, and we talked to last week about the, the, the bucks breaking off those and trying to find another one, um, being on the downwind side of that bedding area. And having your entrance and exit to where you're coming in on the downwind side of that, but that buck still has the wind in its favor um, to that to that bedding. It, it's really it, it, it's really simple when you actually get in front of it and see it. And we've talked about your master class and being able to walk, look at the stand locations and the bedding. But you know, you you said a long time ago, a tree 15 yards apart might make or break you. It's, 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 you're on that much of the ragged edge. Yeah. The best point you made, Terry, was about the, those bucks on the downwind edge. Uh, they, they just, uh, I mean, you can just count on it. That's what they're going to do. They're, they're, they're going to use their nose to the same degree that we use our eyes. And, uh, you, you just can't hardly explain it. You almost have to see it in person. But when you um, see it, it's really simple. I mean, it, it really it, is. Yep it's super simple and it's got nothing to do with sign. You know, all my rut stands or, or the majority of them have very, very little sign around them. They don't have rubs and scrapes. Like most people think you need to be hunting a rub line or scrape or, or this or that, or a beat down path. They don't have that. And, uh, you know, it takes a certain amount of, uh, confidence to, to just put your stand on a downwind edge of some thick cover. But once you see it, it just makes total sense. Yeah. Well, you haven't you haven't shotgun hunted for a lot of years. I think in one of your rut reports, I think you posted uh, this week the last buck you shot with a with a shotgun. How many years ago was that? Uh, it was nineteen eighty five. Yeah, and uh, I still gun hunt. Um, and I want to tell you something. Um, 
when that buck came out of the bedding cover, um, you know, he had his nose down and wasn't paying a lick of attention to his surroundings, was just truly just searching. I grabbed the shotgun, and I was only – he actually came out underneath of the stand that we – you were with me when we hung the stand on the uh, west side of that little little uh, wood lot. I was right. on the east side, and I shot him. He was probably five feet away from the stand that, that you helped him. Well, you were there when we, when we hung, and Ooh. I put it right in the boiler room. I mean, it, it was dead on. He runs – maybe 15, 20 yards, and slows down. And I'm using a Savage 220 uh, bolt gun. So I shucked another shell, put another one in him. He runs another 15, 20 yards going to the north and stops. And, and you could tell he was, you know, really wobbly about, and I put a third one in him. Don, that deer took three slugs inside of probably 65, 70 yards before he finally hit over. These animals are so tough. I mean, it is just amazing what they can hold. Yeah, some of them are for sure. It makes no sense, you know, but you can put a perfect hit on one and they'll seem to go forever. Make a marginal hit on one and it doesn't seem to go anywhere, but some of them are just tough as can be. Yeah. Um the I, I don't know if you've taken the time to watch it or not, but um, Kyle from Team Radical uh, posted the video of Uno uh, yesterday or the day before. Have you seen it yet? Yeah, I did see it. And, I mean, there's another example. I mean, he, he shot that buck, and um, he did the right thing. He, he waited, and um, he was able to get a second arrow in him. Uh, but he called our buddy Ron with with the the tracking dog Dio um, as an insurance policy. But you know, man, that 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 whole I, I recommend everyone going to Team Radicals uh, YouTube page and watching that. It, it really showcases uh, where Kyle has his priorities. Just a super guy, good friend of both Don and I's, but um, great hunt on an absolute world class whitetail that he had been. Um, documented for six years and, and hunted for four but another example of just man just you you think he was gonna run up on top of that hill and fall over and just kept going just amazing animals yeah i'll tell you what it's pretty rare that anybody has six years of history with a buck before they shoot it but uh that, that's a great story and uh, i watched it last night uh on the team radical youtube channel so if you get a chance, go check it out. Yep. Uh, Kyle's Kyle's a real good guy and puts a lot of work into it. And um, I was I was really I, I don't think he wanted six years of history with that buck. No. Uh, he he's tried to kill him for four years, and um, I think he actually saw him more this year than he had um, in years past. And it might just be a testament to that deer's you know home range just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, but, um, just, just fabulous story by a great guy. So check that out. But, uh, you've, you've killed your two bucks. You still have an Ohio tag that you're going to try to go out, um, in late season. And I still have a bow tag in Illinois, which means I'm coming back up in late season. Um, there's, a couple bucks that we still know about that we have, um, some real world soybeans on. So uh, I'm going to try to watch the weather and it might end up just being a um one day hunt and me run up there and hunt and come back but 
I'm going to try to keep our eye out on that. What do you uh, – I think you're going to try to go out to Ohio after their gun season? Yeah, I'm going to go back out there. Uh, I haven't been to that property since the first week in November. Uh, check the cameras and see if anything has moved on to that property. It's kind of a unique situation that uh, I, I just bought the property last summer and it closed in July with a business partner. And within 48 hours of us closing, he moved in the heavy equipment and put a 10 acre food plot in and then in ohio where you can supplemental feed we put in three feeders and, and the reason we did all that is because in this area it's you know it's very hilly i call them mountains most people would probably call them big hills but uh yeah there's not a lot of farmland around uh, a lot of, of wood so we wanted to have the primary food in that whole area so with the 10 acre food plot uh, three gravity feeders. Uh, we're going to have the deer on the property. I mean, when I was there in early November, we already had several, but uh, just no no big bucks that that interested me. So uh, I came back home, and you know, I'm going to go back and see what else might have moved in on the property uh, here pretty quick. Yeah, um, I know. Uh, I know that all of most of the crops are picked now around you, right? Yeah, there, there's very little left right here close to me. Now there's some in in different pockets here in central Illinois, but close to me, there's there's virtually nothing left in the field. So it's kind of the same scenario, but because of a different root cause, uh, your area, all of the crops are harvested. A lot of the ground is chisel plowed. In Ohio, around where you're at, um, there's not a whole lot of ag around it, similar to what you're dealing with in. Um, in Illinois, but you having the only food source is going to draw deer in just like you see it on your home farm there with your standing real world beans in late season. Right. And, and you know, on the 160 acre property, it's essentially 150 acres of the thickest, nastiest bed and cover you ever seen and 10 acres of food. So, uh, we're, we're just hoping the gun pressure from, uh, the Ohio gun season, We'll push some deer onto that property, and they'll find those food sources and hang around. Well, I've I've hunted gun season in Ohio before. I went up there one year with a friend of mine, and I swore I'd never do it again. I've never yeah. I've never seen people walk and hunt like they do up there in my life. I mean, I I don't know if it was just the area we were at or, or what, but I mean, it doesn't matter whose property it is. It doesn't matter who's hunting there in a tree stand. They walk right underneath of you and just wave at you. <laughs> I mean, I've, yeah. I've never seen anything like it. We hunted three farms there um, uh, when we did that. And it was the same thing. We saw, we saw people walking the entire time. It was, it was absolutely insane. So Hopefully, all that pressure pushes a bunch of a uh, bunch of deer into that bedding, and obviously, that food source on late season will be good. Yeah, well, I'm telling you, this property has some thick, thick stuff. So, anybody walking around is doing not doing themselves any favors <laughs> on, on that property for sure, because they're not going to see much. Yeah. But you know, it's funny that I, I've had a chance to travel around the country uh, quite a bit, and, and it, it's always deer related, you know, and it's. It seems like every stage or every region has, you know, different traditions in regards to deer hunting, different ways they do things. And, uh, you know, Michigan, for example, I mean, man, you go up to Michigan and, and those people are just crazy about deer hunting, but 
some of the things they do, I mean, quality gear management in Michigan is about, it's about a joke. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, you can have, you know, a group of guys that, that want to manage for quality, but they're outnumbered 10 to one by the guys that just want to shoot everything that moves. Right. And, and you talk about pressure. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. You get on a property up there and it seems like, uh, every other tree has an old tree stand in it or nails or something boards from, from previous right. years ago. And it's, it's just a different situation there. And then you go out to Pennsylvania and, and that's different. You go out to Kansas and they got different traditions. You, you go into Iowa. Um, it's just, a, it's, it's strange, you know, that you can just cross a state line and all of a sudden the rules change and, and traditions change. Right. Well, as we, as we get into, um, our buy a farm property of the week segment, I got a funny story for you. Um, last weekend when we were at the, uh, I came to Illinois two weekends in a row. So two weekends ago I was there last weekend. I was there. There was a group that came in from Michigan to hunt and, uh, there was five of them. They didn't lease a property. They paid a trespass fee for seven days of bow season that trans, no, I'm sorry, six days of bow season that transitioned into the three days of Illinois shotgun. So they all had two tags. There was five of them. They had come to Illinois, staying in a hotel, all all crammed up in a hotel. Don, they were on a hundred and six acres, all five of them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, not to make fun of the Michigan deer hunters, them guys are serious as can be, but. Man, some of the things that, that I see is just well, leaves, you, leaves you shaking your head. So uh, I, kind of, uh, I, I blame the people that, that sold them on the property because I think they told me that they were paying, each of them paying like 1200 bucks to just just a trasp, trespass fee because there was hunters in there for the two or three weeks before them. So Mm-hmm. They they were this this guy was selling the rights to hunt his property in week or week and a half blocks by the hunter and so people were going in there was one off day they were going in hanging their stands hunting it pulling their stands and then the next group came in <laughs> paid their money yeah so these guys were third in line each paying twelve hundred I mean I felt bad for them they they're like oh we just we don't, we're not seeing any deer. And I'm like, it doesn't matter how many you got on that property when, when you're tromping it up and have the people before you, uh, get there. Um, you know, you might have during the rut, a shooter go through there just because he's chasing, but man, you're setting yourself up. And I think that's one of the cool things about the buy farm segment that we do every week is that, um, you know, people who are looking for out-of-state land or residents in Illinois that's looking for a specific uh, piece of property, the properties that we're bringing to everybody to showcase on the show um, have huge potential to not only manage but also save money. So with that, why don't we go into the buyafarm.com property of the week. Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. Folks, we got a really special property this week. It's a brand new listing. 
I was actually on the property myself earlier this week. I, I am actually a biofarm agent, uh, but I was there with agent Wayne Keller. Um, and we, uh, just listed the property this week. And I'm telling you what, it's something special. It's 167 acres in Monroe County. It's about 30 miles south of St. Louis. It's uh, in the Mississippi River bottoms. It's less than a mile off of the Mississippi River. You can actually um, look across the open ag fields and you can see the trees along the river. Um, but this property is like an island that sits in a sea of, of ag fields. And uh, so you're not going to have an issue with people sitting in the line, you know, and, and shooting the deer as soon as they step across the property line because the property is just surrounded by open ag fields and they were all plowed up whenever I was there this week. But uh, the property has been set up more as a waterfowl uh, hunting property. It was signed up in the WRP program several years ago and, you know, trees were planted on part of it, but some shallow water wetlands for the waterfowl were created. And I don't remember how many of these uh, wetlands there are, but several. Um, there's a big diesel pump um, that, that pumps water to fill up these uh, these wetlands. So you can go in in the, in the summertime, you can plant crops of millet or whatever they plant for waterfowl. And then uh, come fall, you flood it and the waterfowl just flock there. And being right on the Mississippi River, I mean, it's the Mississippi Flyway. It's, it's just loaded with waterfowl. And to this point, the property has pretty much been, or the deer on the property have pretty much been ignored. It's just been a waterfowl property, but there was deer sign everywhere. And I'm telling you, all that property needs is a food plot program put in place. And instantly, you're going to have fantastic whitetail hunting. The deer are there. They just don't have the food sources that they need. But, you know, that's easy. That could be taken care of in a hurry. Um, there's a building on the property already. It's a metal pole building. It's got, uh, you know, an area for storing a tractor equipment or, you know, uh, hunting gear. And then there's living quarters on it as well. Um, so, I mean, it's set up ready to go. All you need to do is, is show up and plant food plots next spring. And you've got uh, world-class waterfowl hunting as well as deer hunting. And it's priced reasonable too. I'm telling you, this property is not going to last long. So, um, so just, this is in Monroe, Co Monroe County, so the western side of the state, but south of St. Louis, right? Exactly. Um, it, it's only 30 miles south of St. Louis, too, you know, so it, it's not like it's that far. Um, but but it, it, I'm telling you, <laughs> it's not going to last because it sets up as good as any property that I've ever seen. There's already places to plant the food plots. It's not like you got to go in and clear anything. Um this place could be ready to rock next October 1st for deer as well as waterfowl. But uh, if you're interested, uh, you want to call Agent Wayne Keller. Uh, Wayne's phone number is 618-407-1679. And uh, Wayne and I have co-listed the property. And I want to throw out something else, uh, too. Uh, this would be a good uh, property to discuss this. But uh, as an agent for Biofarm, you know, anybody that uh, uses me, you know, like on this property, I'm the, I'm the uh, seller's agent. So when someone buys this, I'm offering a free whitetail land management plan, uh, just like uh, I do on my consulting uh, work where I go and a, a landowner hires me to look at their property and put together a whitetail management plan. Well, anybody that uses me as their agent, I, I'm going to offer a free uh, 
custom design plan for that property. So somebody buys this one, uh, you know, that's one of the benefits that, you know, I've charged 3,500 for those, um, do all I can handle every winter. Um, but the buyer of this property is going to get that for free. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I got buddies that are just South of there on the Mississippi river and that area is known as the best duck hunting and waterfowl hunting in the world. But when the thing that catches my eye is when it's already in WRP and it already has spots for food plots, you know, there's some giants that, that will be on that property. That, that could be a spot that, you know, a group of guys or a single guy could go in and have a ball hunting duck or uh, deer hunting. And then after he's tagged out, move on to waterfowl the entire late winter. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, my suspicion is that the deer and the big bucks are there. And there was, there's deer on the property. Now we seen deer whenever we was there, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. I was there. I think it was Monday, but uh, we seen deer, there's deer on the property, but not in big numbers just because the food's gone. But right. I suspect in the summer when those crops are in, uh, I bet the bucks are there. Uh, we've seen, you know, rubs everywhere. Um, but I think as the crops are harvested and then those fields get plowed up, the deer kind of move on for the most part. If you had a food source there, you would hold them. Right. And that's the only thing this place is lacking. And, and you know, that's so easy to address. The plots are there. Just go plant them. Right. Um, so... You can look at this property on buyafarm.com. I'm assuming the listing is up in Monroe County, Illinois, or you can contact Wayne Keller. What was his number one more time? Yeah, Wayne's number is 618-407-1679, and the listing is on the Biofarm uh, website. I was on there yesterday and today both. Um, that listing is right there at the top under new listings. Uh, but I'm telling you, this one is not going to last long. You better get on it if you're interested. All right, good deal. All right, well, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit about my home farm here uh, for a couple minutes, if that's okay. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit, but um, here in Kentucky, um, uh, the farm that I shot T3 on, um, ha I have a, a pretty good-sized real-world wildlife soybean plot uh, on the top of a ridge and falls into a creek bottom on each side of the soybean field. So I have on one side is grown up thicket, rose bushes, stuff that you can't walk through ex ex unless you're on the deer, deer trails. The other side is hardwoods and thickets that I've let grown up, uh, grow up. So there's another shooter on this property. I had a two, two 10 pointers called T2 and T3 based on the, the height of their, uh, uh, G2s and G3s. I found this week that T2 made it through gun season. He was the buck that I wanted my son to shoot. I uh, haven't, haven't gotten on him yet. But I'm running a lot of trail cameras on this property. And he's alive. He is, he is nocturnal. Um, I only got a few daylight pictures of him during the rut. But the one thing I noticed is he is he's coming from all different directions, Don. So I have, I have bedding in different places around there, uh, but the farm is long and narrow. And one of the questions I asked you about is I'm wondering if he's you know, um, using the wind and coming into that food plot from the downwind side every time. And, you, you know, all of my trail cameras, I organize in their Econics trail camera software. So I keep them, you know, separated. 
Um, is there a way that I can go back when I get time uh, this winter and actually look at the wind direction for the date stamp that's on those trail cameras? Yeah, absolutely. I You can go to Weather Underground, and they have history there, weather history, so you can you know, type in your location and, and the, the date and time, and it'll tell you what the, the wind direction was at that time at that location. Okay. And what I do, like what I did with Trump whenever I was uh, putting the, the pieces to the puzzle together to try to, to get Trump, was every time I got a picture of him, I, I marked, uh, or I created a spreadsheet, actually. And I put the date, you know, that I got his picture, the location, the time, the d- direction he was coming from or appeared to be coming from, and the direction he appeared to be going, and then I would go do my research and and get the the wind direction, and uh, I charted that for every time I got his picture at every location, and uh, with that buck, he was just so random and it didn't really help there. But uh, I've got another buck that I'm charting now that that uh, I, there's some things falling into place there, like when the wind is from a certain direction he's coming to a certain point and then he's making a turn and, and cutting across, uh, basically down. He's, he's coming in with, to a bedding area with the wind straight into his face. Interesting. And, and then he's turning and he's going with a crosswind across the end of that, that bedding cover. And, uh, and this is actually on public ground even. So, uh, you know, if that buck survived, I'll, have my cameras out after gun season and through the winter. If he survives, there's a, there's a good chance that uh, I might get a crack at him next year because I know what wind direction I need to be there. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, topography pay, plays a lot, a lot where I'm at because, you know, the, the food plot falls off. So, you know, I just, I cannot figure out where this deer is bedding. And, uh, you know, I'm not talking about rut pictures. I'm talking about, um, all the pictures that I collected, you know, up until the rut. Um, I mean, I, I, I honestly, he's not betting on me. I can, I can guarantee you that. I think he's, I think he's actually betting on an adjacent property, but coming to me to eat. So hopefully those standing real world beans, um, is going to be the only thing to eat, uh, here late muzzleloader for my son, Jonathan to go hunting on and, uh, we'll get a crack at him. Um, I've had really, really good luck on this piece of property in late muzzleloader season because I'm the only food. seems like after rifle season, everybody just kind of cashes it in and nobody does anything for the whitetail anymore. And I, I think I pull a lot of deer in from the surrounding areas just because I'm the only one that still has food. Yeah, if you got those soybeans and you get a cold snap, you're going to have the deer. Now, the the colder it is and the worse the weather it is, the better the odds of those mature bucks being there before dark. But I think uh, you know it's it's only the first of December, not even the first of December yet. Right. So you you still got a lot of time uh, for some of that kind of weather to roll in and you get your crack. Yeah, that's what I need up in Illinois also for that uh, for the one farm that has the food plots on it there too. I need. I need a cold snap and a specific northwest wind, and I'll probably be in a vehicle uh, heading that way to do an evening hunt here through the end of uh, through December. So, yep. Well, we'll get it. It's just a matter of when. Yep. 
So there, there is one other thing that, um, before we get into our listener submitted questions that I wanted to touch on tonight. And, uh, I don't know if, do you do any black Friday shopping? You don't do black Friday shopping, do you? No, I don't shop hardly <laughs> at all unless I'm shopping for myself for, for, for deer hunting equipment. Yeah, or something. I don't, I don't do it either. And, uh, but I, I got a couple people that had sent, uh, some, uh, private messages on social media about, um, I guess some family members had asked them what they wanted and, um, they were asking about binoculars and range finders and some recommendations on it. And I guess they'd kind of gone to the website and got a little bit overwhelmed at Vortex with how many different options there were. And by no means do I do I want to portray that you or I are the expert in all things optics and, and everything because we even use some older uh, Vortex products along with some new. But uh, I reached out to uh, Sawyer at, at Vortex to get some advice on it, and I just wanted to share this stuff with our listeners. Um, the one thing about Vortex is you're never going to beat their price. But the second thing is is... If you send a message to them via Facebook or Instagram or even call their customer service number, they are on it like nobody's business. So everything comes with a price. You know, you and I have gotten to the point that eh, I guess in the stage of our career, we save up and we try to get the best equipment we can. And a lot of our partners are, you know, the best in the business as far as product quality and the technology in it. But with it, when it comes to optics, there's you get what you pay for, and the only advice I can I can give people is buy the best you can in the budget that you're going for. Um, I know I know you've been um, kind of in the same boat as that over the years. Yeah, and you know the great thing about Vortex is they've got uh, different levels of quality. Um, you can get the the cheaper, you can get the mid range, you can get the really good ones. Right. Um, but, but they're all the backed money, by the warranty, though. That's the cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. For the money, you're not going to beat Vortex, I don't believe. So, I mean, I know people listening are probably in their cars driving and they're not going to remember this. But if you're going to take anything away from this, send them a private message on social media or an email from their website or a phone call. But they have something for everybody. Um, they have... For your average whitetail hunter in the Midwest, they have like a Diamondback HD series. Um, I personally use 10 by 50s because I glass a lot in early season and I don't keep two sets of binoculars or a set of 10 by 42s. Um, and their Ranger 1800 rangefinder, I have one of those and use it. That is a very good price point for the average um whitetail hunter in the midwest and then the guys that have more disposable income maybe they're going out west or they're glassing and they don't want that eye fatigue um that they want that higher quality that's where you get into the the vipers and the razors um which is a little bit higher price point with a better quality glass so uh, i hope that helps i'm not trying to dodge the question or dodge the advice that people gave me but the bottom line is don't take our word from us. Just just call them. They can they can help you out with the price point and uh 
and what you're doing as an outdoorsman and recommend the uh, the right model for what you're looking for. So with that, why don't we get into the first listener-submitted question of the week? All right. The uh, first question this week comes from Brian McComer from Grass Lake, Michigan, one of the Michigan guys. Michigan. Um, I bet he's mad at us now for bashing Michigan people. <laughs> Well, you know, the thing about the Michigan guys is that there's a lot of them that are great hunters and they want to do the right thing. It's just that they're outnumbered by the people that want to shoot everything. I'm telling you, uh, the guys that we run into trade shows that consistently kill mature bucks in Michigan, they are the real deal. So, I mean, tip of the cap to you guys up there that are are dealing with the pressure that adjacent properties have in Michigan – and able to consistently kill big mature bucks, um, you're the real deal when you're doing it up there. That's that's our point. We're not making fun of the Michigan people, but the people that right. are the people that are doing that up there, you guys you guys have my respect for sure. Yep. If you can do it in Michigan, you can do it anywhere. Right. But uh, Brian asked uh, Don, "What is your opinion on the use of rattling, calling, and decoys when it comes to mature bucks?" Is there a time and place for them, or do you believe they do more harm than good? Thank you. <laughs> well, Brian, uh, Terry's laughing because he knows exactly what I'm getting ready to say. We, we have the same All opinion right. here. <laughs> I, I don't want any part to do with, with just about any of that, uh, especially rat, rattling and decoys. I do carry a grunt call that I will use when when there's no hope, you know, when the buck's walking away and, and you got nothing to lose. But uh, – my opinion is that for every mature buck that you decoy in or you rattle in or you call in, you're going to spook at least 20. And and you're going to educate more bucks than you even know because all you're doing is saying, you know, you're, you're making that noise and you're saying, here I am, stay away from here. Uh, they just, uh, you, you got to hunt mature bucks uh, like they're a different animal because they are a different animal. Um, they react different than a younger buck. And, and when you start doing things like this, you know, they're already, if you think about it, a, a mature buck is already on edge his, his entire life. If his eyes are open, he's awake and on his feet. He's on the edge, you know, totally aware of his surroundings. And when, when you rattle, call, whatever, those senses just become hypersensitive. And uh, then he, he becomes even so much harder to fool. Um, personally, I, I would forget about all those things and, and just focus on, uh, you know, stand placement, play in the wind and things like that. Those, those are things that I look at as shortcuts or people that really haven't learned how to hunt mature bucks yet. They're always looking for a shortcut, um, that, that magic scent or that magic call or whatever. And there just is no such a thing. It's not going to work. You just need to sharpen your hunting skills. And uh, when you do, you'll start seeing and killing more big bucks. I I agree with you 95% of what you said. Um, I guess this is kind of a little bit about where we, or maybe it's just answering the question differently. We probably agree on it. But um, I am 100% against blind calling or rattling. Um, under no circumstances am I just, oh, I'm, nothing's going on here. Um, if you guys want to go back and listen to episode, I believe, five or six, and a dude sitting on the property line banging on a rattling, uh, rattling horns to me earlier this year, um, you, you'll be able to hear a funny story. But 
Um, I know that there's guys that have success with it. Um, Patrick Simpson, my hunting partner, he, he actually rattled at a specific buck, um, this last Saturday, um, Saturday morning actually, and turned the deer around and came in. Um, I'm okay with, with rattling or calling as long as I can see the deer's reaction. Um, I shot a buck on your place last year, uh, Don, that he was getting ready to cross the creek and it was one of the bucks you wanted me to shoot and I blew on a grunt call and he came instead of crossing the creek he actually turned and came to me came in for like an eight yard shot so when you can see how the deer is reacting to whatever you're doing uh, I'm okay with it in those conditions Um, you know but but to just do it for the sake of doing it thinking that you're going to blindly call one in I agree you're going to mess more up than you're going to um you're going to help, but in, in the right conditions, um, I don't even carry rattling antlers with me. I got enough stuff that I pack in and out right now that I haven't figured out a good way to get them in. But, um, I do think in some situations, especially in the pre-rut that, um, that rattling or calling when you can see that deer's reaction, um, might have some success for people. Well, I don't totally disagree with that. Terry, but, uh, but you know, I think you're right. When you, you're going to give, you're going to, you're going to mess more up than you're going to help that there's no yeah. doubt about that. If you can't see the, the buck, especially, you know, he's going to slip around downwind most time. If he's a mature buck, exactly, he's going to try to slip around downwind and, you know, be in the, stay in the cover and there's a good chance you're never going to see him. But. And as far as decoys go, number one, I wouldn't even fool with carrying one around because they'd be a pain to carry out there. And there's some guys that just they're they're just ate up with putting decoys out there. I've never used them and never will. That's as simple as that. So I think no, a decoy is a lot more effective. It seems like out in Kansas where you know it's more open and and the bucks are using their eyes to a a lot uh, more degree than they are here in the the rest of the Midwest. Right. Uh, but, but I've used decoys and I'm telling you, I've seen them spook way more deer than they ever attracted. I'm talking, they spook does, they spook bucks. They even spook stupid yearling bucks. Well, the, um, the thing about it is, you know, on Instagram all the time, there's, and, and Facebook, there's videos. Oh, people look at, look at this buck, this, this buck, you know, trying to mount, the decoy it's always a a young immature buck there's never a mature buck coming up to to a decoy i've yet to see one where they come up and and try to do something to it so and they don't show you the video footage of all the ones that that (laughs) poked his head out of the brush seen that decoy and took off running that's probably because they didn't even see it themselves Uh, i've seen that happen though yeah so so I hope that answers your question, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think in all cases you're doing more harm than good with any of it. For sure. All right. All right. Next question is from Seth Miller. Seth is from Cutstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, he says, hi, Don, as a non-resident Illinois hunter, I have land leased in West central Illinois that what advice can you give going into a property with limited knowledge of the property? What are you looking for to hunt over? 
Well, the first advice that I would give you, Seth, is never lease a property without seeing it. Um, just, you know, I'm just trying to read between the lines here uh, on the message that you sent in. It seems like you leased the property, but you haven't seen it. Uh, you're getting ready to go hunt it, uh, you know, pretty much blind. What are you looking to hunt over? Well, that depends on the on the season, you know. If it's in the middle of the rut, you know, I'm looking for that doe bedding cover. Um, I want to hunt the downwind edge of it. If it's the early season or late season, I want the food. Uh, you could need to get somewhere between the food, the food and the beds. Um, you know, the to intercept them deer as they're moving back and forth. Um, but really, you should do your homework before you ever lease the land. Um, there, there's a lot of areas that are. Uh, I don't know, overrated, shall I say. Um, and I think West Central Illinois is one of them. You know, the Pike County Rage. Pike County, I'm, I promise you, I, I've done more work in Pike County than any other county except probably my own home place. Been on multiple farms. I don't even know how many farms. Pike County is the most overrated place on the planet for whitetails. It's been hunted to death. Every hunter from the south and the east that comes to Illinois wants to go to the famed Pike County, and they've ruined it. Don't don't bother going to Pike County. It's it's a it's a waste of your time. It's the most overhunted place on earth. So you you need to do your homework before you lease a property, and that that's the best advice I can give you. So you're um, looking you're looking for food. You're looking for cover. You're looking for access to the property, and then. You also need to do a little bit of recon about the adjoining properties. Uh, we had that situation on a property that our friends from Lone Wolf had, and and starting to look at um, on our on our app on our phone to start seeing you know the people that are around it and finding out what kind of pressure and how they hunt that property. Because I'm telling you, lease ground is so expensive. And you're never going to recoup that money. You're, you're just paying a trespass fee, whether you're going in and hunting it for a week like those boys from Michigan were doing, or you're leasing it to have your hunting rights for the entire year. Um, you're never going to get that money back. So picking, even if it takes you more than a year, you know, multiple trips out there to find the right property and be able to lock it up for multiple years is the key. And I'm an out-of-state hunter that goes into Illinois also and leases property. Um, but finding what's the food, um, does the farmer do a rotation of row crop on it? Does he chisel plow after he harvests? Um, is there bedding on the property or are they bedding somewhere else? And then my access in and out. And then you can put game plans together on when you're going to take vacation to go there and hunt. Uh, because some properties, some properties will hunt better in early season. Some will hunt better in late season. Some will be better rut places. So, um, don't, don't do anything blind. There's people out there that are just making highway robbery to out of state hunters coming in and charging them crazy amounts of money for something that will not be worth a nickel. And while we're talking about leasing, um, you, you know, purchasing a property is such, is a much wiser use of your money because you're building up equity. Um, when you lease a property, you're just basically giving away your money to access a property for a period of time. Um, but even when you lease, you're limited on what you can do to that property. You don't own it. So, right. you know, you can't go in and, and cut timber and enhance bedding areas and, 
and clear areas for food plots and such. But if you would figure the money you spend on a lease and, and double that by taking on a partner and then you and your partner go and buy a property and make an annual payment on it. And, and now there may be ways to get some income off that property. There may be some tailblakers, you know, that you rent out to a local farmer. Well, that gives you even more to put towards your payment. And, and in the end, you have 100% control of that property. Um, plus, you're building equity. It's, you're not throwing money away. You're, you're building equity in something that, uh, you know, down the road when it comes time to retire, uh, you're ready to hang up your bow. You, you can sell the property and re- recoup some of that money you've spent. Right. I met another guy um, actually at the hotel a couple of weeks ago, and he was all excited about you know a property that he was uh, that he was planning on leasing for next year that he had found while he was up there, and how he was going to be able to go in and and put food plots in, like plant some uh, real world oats or some plot topper, and then let them harvest. And I said, "Are they going to chisel plow?" He said, "I don't know." I said, are they going to do a fall spray with a residual? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like, you need to find that information out. Because, you know, if if you're putting a whole plan on a lease property around, you know, being able to do food plots and another guy is, con- uh, you know, uh, leased the, the farming rights off of it, you got to know what that guy's plan is too. Because you could go in there and put all kinds of seed in the ground and not grow a thing because of what he's spraying. So... Yeah, you just you yeah. got you got to do your research. And guys, I am leasing properties myself, so I, I know. And I was just thinking the other day, man. I was looking at a new property. I'm thinking, man, should I lease this property? I'm already spending this much money here and that much money there. And well, crap, the money I'm spending, I could make a property payment. Uh, maybe not a big property, but um, I'm leasing these properties and, you know, I'm trying to find a giant buck. Sometimes I'll lease a property and not even hunt it. Yeah. In fact, I've got, uh, one, two, three, four, five properties. I can think of right off the top of my head. I, they're not big properties, any of them, but they're properties. I pay money to lease them that I did not even hunt this year. And I hunted two um, of them. Yep. <laughs> so, and I'm fine with that. You know, I've got a lot of friends that, that hunt and such that, uh, I think I counted up the other day. I've had 13 guests here, uh, you know, hunting properties that I either own or lease, and I'm fine with that. But, uh, you know, I'm spending a lot of money on a lease and getting nothing in return uh, except for access to that property for a short period of time. And I'd be a whole lot better off if I'd put that money towards towards the purchase of the property. So I mean that's 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 our advice for you, buddy. But uh, but do your homework, please. Do your homework. There's so many variables on these properties, and and flat, um, just people are taking advantage of out-of-state hunters taking their money and it, it not being worth anything. So and different people have different goals they want to get. So that's that's the other thing. Right. So, all right. Let's well, we got one more. Yeah. The last question is from Jay Coach. From I think that's how you spell his last or say his last name K O C H, but uh, Jay is from Spencer, Indiana, and Jay says, "Say you obtain a piece of property right before late season, December. Walking into the property, what type of sign would you look for? How would you predetermine if the deer are using it during daylight hours or under the cover of darkness?" Uh, say 50 acres of soybeans, maybe 10 acres of woods adjoining 290 acres of state property. That's all timber. 
Bean still standing as of 1129. This is a question that just came in. Uh, so the beans were still standing yesterday. So let's go back. Um, what type of sign would you look for? Well, obviously you want to see fresh tracks that the, the deer are currently using the property. Um, you're, you're probably going to hopefully see some rubs, some big rubs, but if you just got permission on it, to, you've got a decision to make. Do you first go in and, and hang your stand conservatively and, and stay back on the edge and observe and slowly move in? Or do you stomp the entire property to find the number one spot on the property for your stand and then put it up knowing that you put pressure on the property? And personally, I like the conservative approach. I like to sit back and observe from a distance first. Uh, but going in late season, you don't have time to move. You, you got to, uh, you know, the season will be going out here in another month or so. So you got to you move pretty quick. So you just want to see that fresh sign. The next question is, how do you predetermine if the deer are using it during daylight hours or under the cover of darkness? Well, trail cameras and, and observation is about the only way you can do that. It sounds like uh, you got a, a big uh, sanctuary right next door uh, that's that's all wooded. So my guess is going to be the majority of deer are bedding on that ground, uh, feeding in the crop fields. If there's much pressure at all, and it ain't going to take too much, especially for a mature buck, he's going to learn to stay back in the sanctuary until it's dark and then come out and feed those soybeans. Yep. You got anything to add there, Terry? Um, well, if, if beans are still in on the 29th of November, that's late. So I would try to find out who's farming that ground and figure out what's going on and what their plans are. Because if, you know, and are they going to till? Are they, you know, what are they going to do after they harvest? Um, you know, I don't know what Jay's Jay's uh, financial investment could be, but even if he could pay, what did he say, 50 acres of soybeans are there? Yeah. I mean, if he could pay that farmer, uh, the, if, if that farmer's not harvesting beans till December, a lot of those beans are going to be shattered anyway because <laughs> he's not using real-world beans. But that's awful late. So if he could pay that farmer to leave some of those beans in, you know, two acres on the inside corner or, or on one side that that he could have standing, um, I would investigate that um, because my guess is if the farmer's not done it yet, it, he probably wouldn't charge a whole lot to leave a couple acres out there. Um, but I would I would sure try to find out what's going on with those crops because the colder it gets, the more they're going to be using those beans. And uh, I agree with you. I mean, we're getting to the time of the year where we're only going to hunt evenings again. Um, now that the um, uh, if you can find your food source, that's going to be your best spot. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we just uh, we got rain today. It's supposed to rain again tomorrow. We got two inches here. Um, it's just muddy as can be standing water everywhere. And I'm guessing Spencer, Indiana, where Jay's from got the same thing. Right. I'm going to guess that farmer is not going to be in that field for some time. Those beans are going to be there for, right. you know, a minimum of two more weeks, but, uh, you still don't want him to go in and in, in two weeks and, and cut them all. And then the deer are going to instantly move off. Right. Yeah. If there's a couple acres left there, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's another idea. Um, I mean, I, I've gotten property access late in the year and gone in, 
Um, I, I have a buddy of mine that just bought a piece of property and he wants me to go in and, and walk it right now. And I, I don't want to walk it. I was like, let's wait till snow's on the ground for scouting. Um, you know, you still got a buck tag, try hunting it. And, uh, but, um, yeah, I would be a little bit more careful. Use your trail cameras. I mean, you're going to see in a couple, you know, in a couple of days, what's going in and out on the major trails into that bean field. And if it's during daylight. But if you right. have if you have standing food, um, and it gets cold, you got a you got a shot at something. Yeah, absolutely. So that that would be my my advice to him. So, mm-hmm. all right. So uh, we hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, and we're getting ready for we st- we still both got a tag, so we're still gonna work on achieving some goals here the through December. But um, I um, I, I hope that that as we're all thinking about the Thanksgiving uh, season, uh, I really hope that uh, everybody enjoyed the what's really important, and that's uh, that's their family and and being able to spend time with it. I know uh, I'm not sure if some of it came on the podcast or not, but I got all three kids of mine. Um, I, I took it pretty hard. I know you've already dealt with it, but I took it pretty hard when my oldest daughter went off to college this year. I know you've, you've already been through that phase of your life, but, uh, having all three kids back in the same house has been, been pretty nice this week. So I've really enjoyed it and I hope, uh, everybody else has also. Yeah, we had a good time as well. I, you know, my youngest daughter moved to the East coast to work at Yale university medical center this fall. And uh, she flew in the, the flew back home and the day before Thanksgiving and still here. And my other daughter came uh, with her family from Indiana. We had a great Thanksgiving. And, you know, there's probably nobody on earth that takes deer hunting more serious than I do. And, I mean, I'm just ate up with it and have been my entire life. Now, that doesn't mean anybody, nobody else is serious about it, but I just seem to take it to an extreme level. It's what I live for. But, uh, I still try to keep my priorities in order. You know, uh, I could, uh, give up deer hunting in a heartbeat if I had to, uh, for my family. So, um, sitting in a tree stand and especially as I've gotten older, it gives me a lot of time to think and reflect back. And, and the most important things in life, I, I, I never, when I was younger, I really didn't always have my priorities in order, but as I've gotten older, I, I've definitely got them in order. And I just encourage, you know, everyone that, you know, you're going to have time to sit and stand and think and just consider your priorities and how those kids are only going to be there in that house for a short time. So uh, make the most of it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny just listening to them all up there laughing. It's, uh, it really is, uh, you know, I could have gone back up to Illinois and hunted tonight and tomorrow but with uh with everybody here i wanted to hang out with the family so i hope that uh as we wrap up the show um everybody takes time to really count their blessings and god has just been so faithful to us and um, been good to us through our lives and um um, i guess that's that's what i'm most thankful for is the the gift of salvation through jesus that we both um, I know you and I both cherish and uh, appreciate what everybody has done in supporting the show, but most of all, we appreciate uh, family time and, and the, the gift of salvation. So with that, we're going to wrap it up, and we appreciate everybody's support as we sign off for Chasing Giants Episode 9.